0: Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. Today is one of my favorite shows to be part of. It is a show that we would normally do maybe about a month ago to promote a conference that would have happened this August, this week out in Tampa. Um, and it is a conference held by the women in federal law enforcement. For many of you, you know it simply by its acronym, WIFL. And I always think it's important for our listeners who don't do government speak to remind everybody what that acronym stands for. Women in federal law enforcement. And with us today are two of the top leaders of WIFL, one of whom, Kathy Sands, I've known for many years and um, like to view as a dear friend of mine, and Jesse Lane, who I've known for several years and hope to know even longer. Um, our show today, we're calling it Four Days and 50 Minutes. Their conference would have been four days this week in Tampa. And we are going to spend the next 50, 52 minutes giving the highlights of that conference, reminding everybody that the conference will take place next year around the same week. And if you're interested in what you would have seen this year or can't see next year, listen to us for the next 50 minutes. Kathy, thank you for being on our show. Good morning.
2: Good morning and welcome for everybody. Uh, thank you for having us share what WIFL is and and what we've been doing this year. WIFL has been an organization that's been around since actually the 1980s uh, is when we started having our first leadership conferences. And back then we were known as ICWIFL, the Interagency Committee on women in federal law enforcement. And we were actually a um, committee between the Justice and Treasury Department. So we were actually inside the government. But even back then, uh, our focus was the recruitment, hiring, training, and promotion of women and minorities in law enforcement because we had just uh, in the early 70s gotten the right to become law enforcement officers prior to um, an executive order, we were actually barred from holding the positions. In addition to some of the areas that, uh, that we've always done as Whiffle, when we became a nonprofit, we were able to add um, more uh, focus on things like scholarships for young women attending college. and. Um, we were able to uh, increase uh, our celebration of women's contributions to the professions by um, increasing our awards program and making that uh, a central part of our annual leadership training. Um, For those of you that haven't had a chance to attend a a WIFL training, um, it's open to all employees of law enforcement agencies. Uh, even your interns and your stay in school um, uh, uh, can come and in those uh, four days we focus on subjects to build um, your leadership skills Uh, we provide experts that showcase some of the best practices to enhance your law enforcement skills and many of those people come from the agencies themselves and the subjects we fo- also focus on subjects that help you navigate and balance your career from the day you begin to the day you retire and even beyond. This year, we were scheduled to have some subjects that focused on things like suicide, retirement, generational issues in leadership, best practices. Um, Leadership and professional responsibility are just some of the, the subjects that we were going to cover, and then COVID hit. So I'm going to let Jesse talk a little bit about what we're doing since COVID.
0: And, and Jesse, um, I, I think you've been on our show before, but, um, but not as frequently as Kathy. So welcome back to the show. And it's um, it would have been very nice to see you in person. Um, and one of the things that Kathy I think mentioned about the conference is, which I didn't, is it really is a focus on leadership training. And so many organizations had to postpone their conference this year and pivot. And I was quite impressed at how quickly, but maybe not because we're women and how quickly WIFL decided they had to pivot, right? From an
3: in-person. Definitely, thank you so much, Deborah. It's really a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, uh, Again, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about our conference. It was originally scheduled uh, on August 3rd through the 6th in Tampa, Florida. But again, as everyone has stated, because of the current COVID-19 pandemic, our training was canceled. So on behalf of WIFL, I'd like to offer condolences to all of the families across the nation and around the world who have lost loved ones due to the coronavirus. Our thoughts and prayers are certainly with them. So to those of you in the FedTalk listening audience, I'm pleased to announce that the new date for our future WIFL Leadership Training is August 16th through the 19th, 2021. It will be held at the same location next year the Marriott Water Street Hotel in Tampa, and we hope to see you all there. In spite of the fact that our training was postponed, Wiffle put Plan B into action and hosted its virtual training, offering two courses per day on August 3rd and August 5th. So we are fortunate to have two of our presenters with us today, Retired Colonel Brenda Dietzman, Cedric County Sheriff's Office and CEO of Wayfinder Finder Consulting, and Executive Director of Concerns of Police Survivors, Diane Bernhardt. These skill facilitators will share a brief overview of the virtual courses that they conducted this week. Colonel Dietzman will discuss the new generations how to recruit, retain, and motivate. And Ms. Bernhardt will share on the topic, cops. When an officer dies, impact on line of duty deaths. Ladies, I attended your presentation and you all did a phenomenal job. It was very compelling. So we are happy to have you share that information with us today. So WIFL is also pleased to take this opportunity to share with our FedTalk audience that each year at our annual leadership training, we host the Wiffle Foundation's awards ceremony. Again, we are fortunate to have two of our award winners with us today, Special Agent in Charge, Susan Gibson, and Supervisory Intelligence Research Specialist, Jennifer Austin, both are whom are with the Drug Enforcement Administration. We will be hearing from these distinguished recipients later during a very special segment. Thank you.
0: Jesse, I want to thank you for highlighting for our listeners what next year what this year's conference would have looked like. We know what it will look like next year. Also giving our listeners a, a preview of what the rest of the show will be. Um, we've allowed Wiffle to handpick the highlights from what their conference would have looked like this year. And so we're very pleased to be able to speak with two of their presenters who actually did virtual webinars and um, honored to have several of the two of the award winners um, who had been selected and still did receive their awards. Bed Talk is really honored to be able to give them a platform to speak for themselves and all their other colleagues who received awards and be able to share that very important information with friends of women in federal law enforcement. We're gonna to get to all that, but we need to take our first commercial break. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, 1500 AM. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. Today, we have brought our friends from Women in Federal Law Enforcement, WIFL, onto our show, a show that we normally would have done a few months ago to help our friends at WIFL promote their annual leadership training conference. This year, it was scheduled to take place in Tampa, Florida. Uh, WIFL, like many organizations, had to do a pivot um, and postpone their conference till next year. If you listened to the beginning of our show, you would have heard from Jesse Lane, their VP, that they have already committed to host their conference next year in Tampa at the same venue, August 16th. But now um, we're very fortunate to have several of, of their presenters who did host online this week presentations of... they had planned to do in person to the hundreds of women who would have been gathered. And I understand that the two of you are very fortunate because you did have hundreds of women attending your virtual um, presentation. And first with us is Brenda Dietzman, who is one of the co-founders, as Justine Lane informed us at the beginning, of Wayfinder Consulting. And um, her presentation was about looking into the future and what the future leadership um, of many organizations will look like and how do we train them. Good morning, Brenda, and welcome to our show.
4: Good morning, and thank you, Deborah, and thank you, Kathy, for this opportunity. I really appreciate it.
0: Brenda, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became interested in, uh, in founding Wayfinder Consulting Group.
4: Excellent. Yes, I I retired in, at the end of 2018 after 28 years in local law enforcement. Uh, I rose up through the ranks through road patrol deputy and detective sergeant up up to uh, under sheriff, which is the n- number two person at our um, department. And I was in charge of the last three and a half years. I actually took the job of being in charge of our jail, which had a population of about 1,400 um, inmates. Unfortunately, uh, and you know, I really had to, to – to, to be a good leader, I have found that you really have to understand the why behind why people are the way they are. And that talks to everything, everybody in your life, right? Not not just your employees, your family members, but even the inmates in, in an attempt to, to help them and, and to help the employees be, be the best that they can be.
0: So – You've spent you a career in law enforcement. You started this group, Wayfinder, and um, the presentation that you had for this year's WIFL conference was the new generations, how to recruit, retain, and motivate the next generation. You know, so many um, baby boomers. I am at the very last year, I like to tell people of the baby boomer generation. I don't really relate that that much to them. But I do, you know, they're in my my sphere of influence. And so many baby boomers um, discount and mock the next generation as being too self-centered and mm-hmm. um, being too demanding an employment. I mm-hmm. like to tell them that my experience is quite the opposite. Um, yes, yes. It, it's, I've had the opposite experience with them. I'm sort of interested, Brendan, in hearing from you. Um, what we'd like to hear is... The highlights from the presentation that you did make this week to the Wiffle audience because it did focus on that generation.
4: It did, and Deborah, I'm so glad to hear you say that. I I often, you know, you're you're at the you're right at that cusp of being a baby boomer and a and an, a generation Xer. Well, I'm right on the cusp of being a generation Xer, you know, and. Baby boomer as well, so I, I I can appreciate where you're at on that. Um, and I love these new generations, and we're talking about the millennials and the Gen Zers, which are the newer generations up to 23 years of age for the for the Gen Gen Zers. And I think, as a, a general rule, um, older generations always look at the younger generations and shake their heads um, because they're they're disturbed. But the thing of it is, we have to understand that we all have strengths and weaknesses, and When we start to understand the why behind why we are the way that we are, oh, we can work together so much better, right?
0: So so in the presentation you did, you go through about four different things. You talk about what are the positive characteristics of these new generations and how do you utilize their skill set? I also thought what was interesting is you go through like how they were raised is really about how they show up in the workplace. So I'm not sure which category you want to um, talk about first, because I was interested in all of it. But um, I wonder if you and I share the same view of their positive characteristics.
4: I do. I do. And and it's a matter of being open to discovering those and and to seeing those and understanding them so i think the biggest thing that that i like to start off with especially is talking about how to motivate them because so many times we hear from xers and boomers that they're unmotivated they don't want to come to work or you know right they don't the opposite. Want to do it, it it is and 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 i think we have to go back to it's not it's not what it looks like on the outside. It's what actually motivates them. And I like to go back to um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Remember that from my school psychology class? And I think he's spot on because the older generations, my grandparents, you know, they were worried about food, shelter, clothing. My parents were worried about healthcare and safety, you know, and those, those are things that a job would provide, right, for because of the paycheck. Yeah, so... My generation was more of the connection and my job helped provide that because we we're very much a family. We talk about law enforcement being a family. Um, and so I wanted to come to work for that. But the younger generations are more more concerned about achievement, purpose and their self-esteem. right? And if you look at ha- Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that's where that's at, right at that tip top. Right. So um, does the job provide that? Well, it can. Um, and if you want to motivate these younger generations, you have to provide those things within that job. So you have to talk to them about how, how your mission right, fits into their purpose of making the world a, a little better place and remind them of that every day and remind them that what they do in their job, making their world a better place, and then give them awards and, um, and acknowledge those achievements that they've had. Um, because then they want to publicize it. Studies show that they they not only want to do it, but they want to show the world that they've done it, right? And that's, and that's that social media? Part. That's the social media, exactly. They want to get on TikTok, Instagram. We know Instagram. everything
0: about everybody today, right? Yeah,
4: well, we know the good parts about everybody's life, and that's kind of the surreal world that we live in, and I think that why we have such a problem because we look at everybody's social media and it's mostly all of the good stuff. We don't see the bad stuff. So it's kind of a surreal world that we live in.
0: So when you talk about their motivation, um, about, you know, they want to achieve and they want to have purpose. Um, so when, so the, the presentation you did is on recruiting and retaining them. You talked about, you know, what motivates them. What are, what are the, um, recommendations for recruiting that, those generations, recruiting them into a law enforcement. I know one of the things you do is you discuss it, um, talk about these characteristics across any type of employer, but within the context of law enforcement, what, what's your wisdom on recruiting the next generation?
4: Uh, you know, I, I think we just touched on it, right? So we, we've got to focus in on that purpose. We have to focus in on why we do what we do, not just what we do, right, but why we do it. Uh, and we need to look at that and sell that. So when we can, we can bring people in and do like a career day, things like that. And then, but make sure that it's something that they can like take pictures of and post You know to show to show what people are doing But I think we also need to sell ourselves way before we start recruiting a person We need to sell ourselves in law enforcement um, As 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 making the world a better place. What do we do to make it a safer better place? And once we start selling that and putting that out on social media, I think we're going to get a lot further ahead
0: And clearly that's become more challenging today. Hasn't it?
4: It has because you know, there's, there's a, there's a hyper-focus right now on, on law enforcement and, quite frankly, some disdain for it. Um, I think that there's a lot of reasons behind that. Uh, and we really have to work hard to rewrite the script. I think in law enforcement, we are so focused on, on doing the right thing and keeping people safe that we don't take that extra step of communicating that. With the people that are out there.
0: So, what in the next, in the last minute or so um, of speaking with you, what do you think, what are the recommendations in the law enforcement community? Because certainly it did occur to me with the recent events, it's going to be extremely difficult to recruit and retain this generation of 20 and 30 year olds into law enforcement. Um, but law enforcement by nature has an earlier retirement age. And so if law enforcement community doesn't think about how to refocus um, the, to the American public, the work, the importance of the work they do, they're going to miss out on this generation. What's your recommendations?
4: I think we have to engage people early. I think we have to rewrite the script. Like I said before, I think we have to um, use our current agents our, our current officers to recruit that next Next level, because what I'm what I what we see is that most of the time people who get into law enforcement do it because they've had a connection somehow with law enforcement. So, encouraging our people to to look around and see what's available and then start to start to kind of put that in their mind of getting into law enforcement because people people talk about law enforcement in general as as being not a good thing right now. But when you say, do you have any friends that are law enforcement officers? They say yes, and they're incredible human beings. And so, so we need that personal, we, we need to push not only our officers and our agents to do, do the good work that they're doing, but also some of that recruiting as well.
0: So that, thank you, Brenda, because that certainly is a nice segue into the other presenter that we have with us here today, when you talk about what incredible human beings they are. Part of the job is you have to be prepared to sacrifice your own life for the safety of others. And um and which has been inside the law enforcement community, um, has always been at the forefront of what of of one of the things they do to take care of each other. And we're so we're very um pleased to be able to have with us today Diane Bernhard, who is the executive director of COPS C O P S. Which stands for Concerns of Police Survivors. Um, good morning, Diane, and welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate
3: being yeah.
0: here. So before we take, before we take um, our mid-show break, I thought it would be great for our listeners to hear from you a little bit about who you are, your background, and how you got interested in this organization of which you are now the executive director.
4: Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'd be
5: happy to share that. Yeah. So I retired much like uh, the colonel after 23 years only in law enforcement uh, from the Columbia, Missouri Police Department. And I also uh, started as a patrol officer and rose to the ranks, the rank of deputy chief, which was the number two. I was, I was listening to the parallels in the, in the careers as we were listening to that last segment. Um, but in 2005, um, uh, a, a dear friend of mine, her name was Molly Baden, was shot and killed on a, tra- on a traffic stop. Um, she, she was shot and she died 30 days later from her injuries. Um, and we were devastated, as you can imagine, in our organization. I was devastated. Our administration was devastated. We had never had it before. We didn't know what to do. Um, we had 30 days to kind of get our act together and figure out what we're going to do as far as a funeral and, and taking care of the family. Um, but we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants, is, is what we were doing. And um, this organization called COPS uh, showed up, and they helped um, in a way that we would have done anything for that family. And um they came in and did what we didn't even know what to do. Um and so there was definitely a, a difference made in the family and her family members. Um a year afterwards they, you know, her dad told me I think this organization called Cops uh, saved my life. And um that that stuck with me. And then later in my career, when it was time for me to retire and I was looking for what I thought was gonna be a police chief's job somewhere. Uh, Why anybody would want to do that? I'm not sure but I thought that's what I wanted to do Um, But this this opportunity came available with cops and I remembered that conversation with Molly's dad and I thought this is that meaning and purpose um, That the colonel was talking about that I needed in my life. And so um, it was a natural fit and I've been here about seven years now I'm sure the organization
0: is better because of you and there's nothing like bringing your own personal experience to the cause that you work for every day so uh, Diane, it's really it's a real honor to be able to have you on our show. We are going to talk a little bit more about the organization and the presentation that you gave this week for the WIFL audience. But we need to take our mid-show break, commercial break. You are listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network, fifteen hundred a.m.
1: Shaw, Bransford, and Roth.
6: One team working all three branches. Judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SBNR employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers.
1: Legislative.
6: Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients.
1: Executive.
6: Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed manager and Fed agent.
1: Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government.
6: Online at shawbransford.com. sb Client-focused. Results-driven.
0: Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth, I'm hosting today's show. Today, if you just tuned in, is our annual show where we bring in our friends from Women in Federal Law Enforcement, otherwise known as WIFL. This would have been their week of their annual conference to be held in Tampa this year. Thankfully, they were able to postpone it and it will be uh, held next year in August in Tampa go to their website. You, I believe that you will see, if not now, soon, information on how you could attend the conference. Today's show is uh, four days and 50 minutes, and we're trying to do our best to highlight what you would have seen at the conference. We um, just um, heard from one of their presenters, uh, Brenda Dietzman, who did a presentation on recruiting, retaining, and motivating the next generation, which I think Brenda and I and I think most people would agree, um, is going to be a difficult task um, in law enforcement, given, the, um, given where uh, our society is today um, and the negativity that has had its focus. I think one of the things about the leadership conference that WIFL hosts is to counterman that view of law enforcement. So it's a great honor to be able to get this information out to our listeners. Um, Before we took our break, we were talking with Diane Bernhard, who is the executive director of COPS, which stands for Concerns of Police Survivors. And Diane, you had just told us um, a bit about what your organization does and how you got involved. Give us a little insight into um, the presentation that you did this week
5: for WIFL members. Um, absolutely. Just for those who don't know what uh, what COPS does, is we're, we're a nonprofit organization that's been around uh, We're going on a 37th year, actually, started very small by a gr- group of uh, 10 police widows um, who were together at a conference. And uh, they realized once they talked to each other that they actually related to each other and they felt better about the situation they were unfortunately in. And uh, from there, the idea of COPS was born and it's literally just grown from there. Um, right now, we have about 54,000 members, um, survivors across the country that are all survivors of officers who have died um, in the line of duty. From correctional officers to federal officers to our municipal state officers, we, we uh, represent them all. Um, so that's what COPS does. We do a lot of things like programs, retreats, um, scholarships. We organize part of National Police Week um, every year in May. Um, So the organization has grown, and um, most recently, it's it's growing significantly faster due to COVID-19.
0: Tell us what you mean by that. Um, I think it's probably obvious to our listeners, um, but for those who might not be in the law enforcement community, um, explain to our listeners what the current trend is inside of the law enforcement community, both at the federal, state, and local levels,
5: with um, officer uh, deaths. Yeah, so um, traditionally, when you go back starting 2019 and going back 10 years, if you looked at the cause of officer deaths, it would be about a third gunfire, a third auto-related, and a third from other causes, which many of them are the 9-11 cancer deaths as the result of those officers, those heroes that responded on 9-11 and then later developed cancer. Those would be in that other category. Um, Recently, with the COVID-19, we're seeing a huge spike in law enforcement death. Um, right now we're tracking about 215 police officers across the country who have died as a result of COVID. Um, not all of those will be determined that they were in the line of duty, um, but the vast majority of them will. Um, and part of that has to do with the fact that law enforcement you know, responds on calls for service, especially early on in the pandemic, they didn't necessarily have personal protective equipment Um, They still sometimes can't wear it even when they do respond, you know, they can't stay home and socially distance like the rest of us got to do and so um, the number of officers that have died from this is just a remarkable number and uh, if you just look at 2020 deaths across all categories, uh, COVID is more than half of our deaths um, in 2020 um, uh, among law enforcement officers. What's that done to the work of your
0: organization?
5: you know we're we're all kind of scrambling that the pandemic has um has really changed our organization and that we normally would have had a national police week um in may and so we had all those families and co-workers of our officers our heroes from 2019 who died that would have been honored um now we have this uh, huge influx in 2020 of our our quote normal energy deaths which i can't even hardly believe i'm saying that but our our gunfire and our auto accidents that we that we um normally have and then it's a big influx of COVID Um, we're looking at a national police week next year in uh, 2021 vaccine willing Um, we have a a national police week uh, coming that may be two to three times uh, what we would have had in uh, May of 2020. Well all of the accounts
0: um, indicate that um, American ingenuity um, we, we will have a vaccine early in 2021 that's safe um, and mass produced. I think most, most Americans are really counting on it. Um, but you know, the line of work that all of you folks are in, in as you point out, Diane, it's not like they can social distance. I, I doubt in many instances they can wear a face covering. So they really are at great risk. Um, the presentation that you did this week for Wiffle talked about, um, the impact that these line of duty deaths have on families and the organizations they work in. So in, in a minute or so, could you just give us a preview of what that was like in your presentation? Yeah, absolutely. The issue of impact.
5: Sure. Um, obviously, I mean, I, I think it goes without saying that it's a huge impact when anybody loses a family member, uh, you know, a parent, a, a child in the line of duty. There's a huge impact there. Um, What's a little bit different about line of duty death versus, you know, a a death of someone who's not in law enforcement is the death is very public in nature. And so it's definitely all covered on every uh, media channel. And there's a lot of public memorials and things that happen after that, that the families um, need the support of their agencies and the support of their community as they go through that. So we talked about a little bit about what that looks like. And we also talked about the impact of social media on how law enforcement has to respond to line of duty death. Um, it used to be that we had time to to do it perfect. You know, we would get the chief there, we would get a chaplain, we would get um, the support system there for the family before we even broke the news. Well, the reality is that, that can't happen anymore, and right. so we're we're finding families that are finding out about the their officer's death on social media at an alarming rate. And so we spent a lot of time talking about that in the presentation.
0: And I know from um, from the material that was posted on Whiffle's website that. Um, you also included some recommendations for how to handle these line of duty deaths, and maybe you could share a few of those with us.
5: Yeah, we just we talked a little bit about you know making sure the family's wishes are heard. It, you know, sometimes the, in law enforcement, what we do so well is we we can put on a terrific, honorable funeral, um, but sometimes we need to kind of lose the family's voice in that. So we talked about the importance of hearing the family's voice and what they wanted in that. And then we talked about a lot of uh, aftercare for the co-workers. Sometimes the co-workers are forgotten in all that. Um, they're also um, grieving when they lose a, a co-worker. It's a real thing. And it can affect someone's career if it's not um, handled correctly. And so we talked about the importance of that aftercare for the co-workers as well. So for those listeners
0: who are interested in the work of this really important organization, I've been on their website, and it's certainly... Um, it's very informative about the types of services that are offered in all 50 states across law enforcement. It's really admirable work you do, Diane. And I want to thank you for the work you do and for being on our show this morning.
5: Well, um, I thank you. And I want to thank WIFL for their partnership. They've been a longtime partner of COPS. And uh, i I warning with them about their con- being canceled, but I look forward to being there in Tampa.
0: So for the last segment of our show, um, as I said at the beginning of today's show, one of the most, um, um, for me, important things I do that I like to do and listen to each year is go to the Wiffles Award um, dinner or luncheon. I've been doing it for at least a decade, if not more. Um, It is heartwarming to hear about the details of the work that gets done inside our very important law enforcement agencies and the the types of awards that WIFL hands out and the thought that they put into it is remarkable. And so we're very honored to be able to have a couple of award winners um, with us today. And Jesse Lane is going to walk us through the award, the types of awards and the award process and introduce us to two of their award winners.
3: Uh, Thank you Deborah. Um, With regard to our Wiffle Foundation Awards, uh, law enforcement agencies, organizations, and departments are given the opportunity to nominate outstanding women and men in seven distinguished award categories. These awards are as follows, the Julie Y. Cross Award, the Elizabeth Smith Friedman Intelligence Award of Excellence, the outstanding federal law enforcement employee awards the outstanding advocate for women in federal law enforcement award the top prosecutor award the wiffle leadership award and the wiffle foundation public service awards an awards committee is convened and winners are selected this year a total of 19 women received the Wiffle Foundation Awards. Uh, we would like to just pause and honor all of our award winners for their exceptional contributions to the law enforcement profession. Thank you. So it's 19 winners
0: and Jesse, as I understand, even though the conference was not held this year, Wiffle still um, issued its awards and, um, was able to recognize all of the winners um, in some form or another.
3: And um, so in that regard, that did carry on. Yes, it did, it certainly did. We were able to acknowledge them and get them their awards to their leaderships of their organizations. And by now they probably have been presented to them. Um, But with this virtual environment that we're in now, we're not really sure how, but I know they will receive those rewards. So, um,
0: we, as I said at the beginning of the show, we have two of the award winners. Whiffle, uh, we asked Wiffle to select for us a few uh, award winners that we could highlight on our show. We've got two, um, and I think they did a great job of who they selected to highlight the types of things that they recognize in this award ceremony. We do need to take our last commercial break. It is Fed Talk you are listening to. We are at 1500 a.m. Federal News Network. Welcome back to Fed Talk. I'm Deborah Roth. I'm hosting today's show. Today we are highlighting women in federal law enforcement. The organization known as WIFL. It would have been this week their annual conference in Tampa. Uh, Instead, they chose to um, pivot to their annual conference in person. Will be next year. This year they did a modified version of the conference online, and we at Fed Talk are very pleased to be able to have Wiffle handpick some of the presenters that presented, would have presented in person, did present online, and um, be able to um, recognize their award winners of which, just before the commercial break, Jesse Lane informed us there were 19 award winners, two of whom are with us this morning, and Kathy, um, Kathy Sands, the president of Wiffle, and the executive actually the executive director, I'm going to turn it over to you to let our listeners know the two award winners that you selected to be on the show today and the awards that they received.
2: Thank you, Deborah. Um, We selected two of our award winners because it's kind of a unique year for, uh, not only because of COVID, but the way these two awardees were selected. Uh, It's the first time that we've had uh, one award winner actually nominate another award winner and they were both are selected um to receive um susan gibson the the sack of dea in newark was awarded the uh, public service award and that recognizes um a career of 20 or more years and not only are they recognized for their contribution to law enforcement But these women serve as a role model for all women. Now, the unique thing about Susan is that she wasn't nominated by DEA. She was nominated by the US Attorney's Office, which is even a little more unique because takes a lot for an agency from outside to recognize the contributions of a leader in another agency. And so I just wanted to highlight some of that unique um, uh, situation this year. And um, so Susan, I just want to, first of all, congratulate you. Two, it's wonderful to meet you, even though we're doing it virtually. And um, just like to hear a little bit about um, what y- your life has been like as. Um, a DEA agent?
6: Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. This is an honor to be a part of this uh, discussion and it's an honor to receive this award. So I, I'm truly grateful. Um, and I'm very grateful to the United States Attorney's Office, District of New Jersey, who actually nominated me. And, and it's a big, big honor by them. Um, being a DEA agent has been a blessing. It, it's been a very challenging uh, you know, sometimes daunting uh, occupation. I started as a police officer in South Carolina and I transitioned over to DEA. So I've been carrying a gun and a badge for about 26, 27 years. And uh, my transition in DEA was definitely different um, from that of a police officer. Um, But it's a very rewarding career. And at the same time, you're frustrated a lot because sometimes you know who the bad guys are and, and it takes a lot to get there to get them um technology is always changing uh you know we work crazy hours so you know i sat in my car for 36 hours one time um did you have to go to the the bathroom
0: that's what i
1: don't understand
6: (laughs) how do you not go to the bathroom oh you find the the cleanest bathrooms in the area and you you frequent those um but you know it's a very challenging uh Rewarding career, and and at the bottom or the foundation of it all, I have been so blessed to work with such amazing people. Um, I I value the people that I've met through my career, and I've worked with some of the best police officers and best agents you could ever imagine, some of the smartest, kindest people, and and I'm just proud of that.
0: So, um, Susan, we at FedTalk have never been able to have award winners on the show, so it's a great opportunity for us to push out to lots of people who are listening um, the work that you do at DEA. And can you give us um, a brief summary of, you know, that you, at this point, you know, the nomination came from the US Attorney's Office in New Jersey. For what work in particular did they nominate you for? Well,
6: we we built a foundation here in New Jersey and it was a strong cooperation and alliance amongst the federal heads of the agencies here in New Jersey. New Jersey does have uh, significant cities with, with crime problems and it was Craig Carpinino and his uh, idea that we develop a violent crime initiative throughout the state, and that's focusing on on various cases and focusing on targets that bring a certain level of violence with them, along with drug trafficking. Um, That was his program. We all bought into it because we believe in him, and it's been very successful. Uh, Prior to COVID, Newark itself uh, saw a decrease in crime um, because we were strategically identifying those that were responsible for a lot of the violence and drug trafficking in certain neighborhoods. So Newark itself saw a decrease substantially from this program. In addition, um, the cases that are being worked out of uh, the DEA office in New Jersey, they have been international in scope to the point that uh, we seized a, a lot of drug proceeds throughout uh, my time here, um, to the extent about uh, over $110 million just in one case alone. Um, I'm really proud of the work ethic, and to include even during through COVID, we've done over 85 different enforcement operations through COVID, through the beginning of COVID when we really didn't even know or no one knew what was really going on. So the level of dedication and the heart that I see in DEA agents, and it just shows because we couldn't let up. We had to continue because the, the opioid crisis is still out there. Overdose deaths are still happening. And this affects everybody. I don't think there's a family out there that hasn't been affected in some way, shape or form by uh, the opioid crisis that we have going on. So we didn't have the luxury to sit at home. Uh, We still need to persevere and continue
0: through it. And as Kathy um, said when she introduced you, the uniqueness of the two award winners we have today is that you actually, I'm gonna turn it back over to uh, my friends at Wiffle so that we can introduce the second award winner um, and um, and hear from her. Um, so, um,
3: is this is it, Jesse? Are you taking over at this point? Yes. Thank you so much, Deborah. I, and I'd like to just thank um, Susan Gibson uh, and congratulate her on receiving the Whiffle Foundation Public Service Award. That definitely speaks to your dedication on behalf of this profession, Susan, and we are really uh, proud. Uh, but as Kathy stated also, it's rare that WIFFLE has two award recipients from the same agency. So I understand that you nominated your colleague, uh, Jennifer Austin, for the Elizabeth Smith Friedman Intelligence Award of Excellence. Can you tell us about your colleague's nomination? What was your primary motivation and what stood out about Ms. Austin?
6: Well, she gets mad at me because I I love to talk about her because I'm so proud of her. I've known her for close to 23, 24, 25 years now. I consider her my first partner in crime. Uh, We both met in New York City. She's been an intel analyst for that long. Um, And Jen brings to the table a certain skill set that drug law enforcement has moved into a whole new arena. It's, it's more data-driven, it's more analytical between uh, all types of communications that are out there that, that traffickers exploit, between knowing the dark web, between encryption, uh, Bitcoin, and the money laundering activities. We need the millennials of the world, i.e. we also need the Jen Austins of the world that are analytical in nature. She thinks outside the box constantly. And she is the type of person that DEA and law enforcement needs as far as bringing intel to the front and center stage where we're heavily relying upon it. So I truly believe in her. I believe in her work ethic. And, you know, I just wish I had 100 more of Jen Austin's.
3: Wow, thank you so much. What a great introduction. But before I introduce our distinguished recipient, uh, Ms. Jennifer Austin, I'd like to give everyone a little background on the Elizabeth Smith Friedman Award. It honors the significant acts of exceptional and sustained levels of intelligence analysts, innovative intelligence, integrative functions, and situational awareness to reduce or prevent crime and prevent terrorism. The award honors ATF's first female prohibition investigator and cryptanalyst during the prohibition era. So that is really amazing. Um, Jennifer, I, I, I would just like to say again, we are just so very proud of you. And uh, you are the recipient of the distinguished Elizabeth Smith Friedman Award. What does that feel like? And to have your boss speak so highly uh, of your contributions to this profession.
7: Well, well first I wanna thank you and um, Catherine for for um, honoring us with the award and, and choosing to highlight us on today's um, discussion. Um, I'm truly honored. To be selected uh, for the award, um, I want to thank Zach um, Gibson and my, uh, my supervisor, uh, Field Intelligence Manager, Danielle Gilbride. Um, it's very empowering to work for two amazing, strong women um, in such a male dominated um, industry. And they have continually mentored and encouraged me to grow as an analyst, as a woman, and as an individual. I have been very fortunate to work and learn from many strong, intelligent, competent women um, agents, prosecutors, analysts throughout my career. Um, and, and I would like to thank um, WIFL as an organization for continuing to promote and support women in federal law enforcement. And I, I want to um, congratulate you on your 20-year um, anniversary that you had last year. Uh, women are more successful when we are supported by other women. And I strongly believe that. And I believe that I've benefited from my relationships and friendships like my friendship with Susan um, and my other female colleagues. I I enjoy mentoring new analysts and helping them through the process and grow um, throughout their careers. Uh, The award, to answer your question, the award means a lot to me. Um, I've been a member of the narcotics intelligence community for over 20 years, and I am very passionate about what we do. Um, Intel um, analysts, we work in the background, and it is um, very nice and appreciated to be recognized for our impact. Um, One of the things I value most is my fellow analysts. We rely on each other. We are our own resources. Um, We are available to each other to assist um, at any time, to solve problems, to address challenges. I can send out an email or, or make a phone call at any time on any day and get back several answers immediately. I I consider myself very lucky to be part of such a supportive group.
0: So thank you to our two DEA award winners for attending and being part of our show. For our listeners, if you picked up at the end, I, I wondered how Jennifer, who was closing the show, was gonna close it with a bang. And I think that the point she made about women supporting women is really my takeaway. It's always been my takeaway when I attend the WIFL conference. So I do appreciate that we got that final soundbite from Jennifer about the importance of this organization. And if you enjoyed getting 50 minutes of what four days look like, then you should attend next year's conference, which will be four days in Tampa in August, the week of the 16th. I personally look forward to being there and I wanna thank all of you for joining me today in recognizing the work of this organization.